Welcome to CEO On The Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm your host, Gail Lance, and together we'll be exploring the people side of leadership. You'll learn how to better engage and inspire those around you and yourself. So let's get started. Welcome to this special episode of CEO On The Go. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that normally I've been doing short solo episodes on a wide range of topics, anything of interest to CEOs and senior executives. But today is a little different. I'm not interviewing just one guest, but two. So we've packed in extra value today. And we're talking about how to build trust as a leader and how to build trust in your organization how to create purpose-led, high-performance cultures that build trust. So trust might seem like a soft topic, but it impacts the bottom line. And I'm guessing that you already understand that because you're listening. The 2021 Edelman Trust Barometer shows crisis in leadership with a growing trust gap. CEO's credibility is at an all-time low in several countries. People are looking to leaders, that's you, for solutions. So you're in the right place. And I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. John Blakey, author of The Trusted Executive and founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation. He works as an executive coach and board advisor on trust with CEOs around the world. And I'm also happy to introduce Russell Atkinson. Russell is currently an NED and chair of the advisory board at the Trusted Executive Foundation. Russell was formerly chief executive of NAHL Group. He served a pivotal role in implementing strategy following major regulatory change in the consumer legal services market. And prior to his role there, he held senior executive roles with a number of international firms. So John brings extensive cutting-edge research and expertise to the topic of building trust. Russell brings great insights and practical application to our conversation. He talks about how to put the principles that John teaches into practice. So both are true trust evangelists. And we talk about the importance of evangelizing. I use that term deliberately because, as John will indicate, uh, being able to evangelize right now is one of the habits of trust that's most important. So as you listen to our conversation today, think about how you would rate yourself or your organization on the trust scale and consider just one action you can take to build or strengthen trust. Enjoy. All right, John and Russell, I'm so glad that you're here today to talk about a topic that I think will be of interest to uh, many listeners. We're talking about trust, how you build trust as an executive in your leadership role. And so I was just thinking to myself, every time I do a podcast episode, I'm thinking, why is this topic important and why now? And trust seems to to be obvious, but I just thought I would start with you, John, and, and let you speak to why you think trust is so important. Now you've written a book about it. So what led you to write the book and, and do the research that you've done in this area? Sure. Th- thanks, Gail. Um, and uh, yeah, good good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, why trust? Why now? Um, for me, the journey with trust started some 20 years ago when I was in my last corporate role. So I was international managing director in a, a FTSE 100 software company. And uh, I bumped into my CEO one morning, one Monday morning down in London, and had an impromptu performance review, which I didn't expect that I was going to have that morning. 
Um, but he suddenly engaged me in a conversation about uh, um, my sort of um, leadership. And he accused me of being too effing nice and, and then promptly marched off. And I was stood there in this sort of 21st century, you know, corridor of power thinking, you know, I'm, I'm too effing nice. What, 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 what is this telling me about the world of work that I have subscribed to? And um, it made me realize that there was a choice that I needed to make and a choice for every leader to make, which is, you know, where do you stand? Is the currency of your leadership power or is the currency of your leadership trust? And to me, that's not about being nasty or being nice. That's, that's about a very serious choice that you make around your leadership. And I wanted to stand for trust. And the more I sort of looked into that and, and, and the more curious I got about it, that's what prompted me then to enroll at Aston Business School to do a doctorate and to research this thing, this thing called trust and to look at the theory of trust as well as the, the practice of it. When, when we think about why trust, why now? Why now? You know, here we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, you know, wh why would trust be so important now? Well, I think if you think of what's happening to the world of work, we've got thousands and uh, hundreds of thousands of, of workers now working uh, remotely, um, socially distanced, anxious. And if ever we needed that trust to be the glue of our working cultures, I think it's it's right now, and I think in the future, as we uh, implement these more dynamic working models, it's trust that will be that super glue that holds cultures together. So I think trust has always been important, um, but I think if you look in the future, you know, if you rely on that currency of power in leadership, I, I think that's becoming increasingly questioned in a 21st century context. And the only other currency that we know that can replace it really is trust. Um, so I think that it's particularly relevant now for leaders to think about this choice. Um, do I trust in power or do I rely on the power of trust? And uh, that, that for me is, is a big question and one that I've been passionately sort of researching and writing about over the last uh, eight to nine years. Yes. Well, it, obviously, trust is, is multidimensional and can be defined different ways. And I, I'm guessing a lot of leaders who are listening might think, well, I'm trustworthy. I'm sure people trust me, right? Um, I remember seeing a statistic. You might know the stats on CEOs or senior executives who perceive themselves to be trustworthy um, is much higher than those who, who really are working for them. So can you speak to that issue? Yeah, I, I can. One of, one of the outcomes of my own research was that on average, CEOs rate themselves 29% more trustworthy than do the people who work for them. So, and I call that the authenticity gap. Um, you know, the idea that we all have a view of ourselves. Um, and obviously we all want to be trustworthy and we all think that we're trustworthy. I don't think anybody gets up in the morning saying, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to be untrustworthy. <laughs> right. It's not intentional, right? <laughs> it's not intentional. But, but other people's perception of that is, is the real acid test of it. And what the research shows is that we're not quite as good at this thing called trust as we might think we are, particularly in the modern age, particularly when expectations are, are shifting around the behaviors of leaders. And uh, obviously, we're living in a, 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 a technology-empowered, um, diverse, inclusive world. And I think that is redefining the expectation on leaders, that the expectation of trust is higher 
than it than it has been in the past. Yes, especially now too during the pandemic when there's so much more, or seems like there should be much more transparency. You're literally having conversations with executives in their homes. Uh, so it's kind of hard to hide hide behind anything <laughs> these days. So. Yeah, that's right. I mean, on Zoom, everybody's got the same size uh, window on Zoom, haven't they? I mean, the chief the chief executive doesn't get a, a window that's three times the size of, of everybody else. It's a very... It's the great equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's interesting. You know, so I think that's that's another reason why, yeah, you, trust is, is something that uh, distinguishes uh, great leadership in this environment. Yes. Well, I was curious to know, too, your approach to determining what levels of trust exist. And I know that we've got Russell here too, to, to share with us your experience, Russell, about uh, the efforts that you led in your organization at the time. So Russell, why don't we shift to you and you can talk about what your situation was. I know I've seen a nice case study showing the success of your efforts, but w- why did you focus on trust? How did you measure that? Tell, tell us a little bit about what that experience was. Yeah, certainly. And uh... Everyone. Um, yeah, I was looking around about two and a half years ago uh, and looking for a framework to fit our values around. We, we were always a values led organization, the company I worked for. We, we worked in the legal industry in the UK, um, and that was an area that does not have a, a high degree of trust from either consumers or or users uh, of the of, of the services that, that that we were offering. So as a company, we had been values focused for a long time. We had our four values and we used them everywhere. We had them on the on the walls. We had them uh, in our appraisals, the usual stuff uh, uh, that we, we recruited by them. And we really did try to live by them. But I felt that there wasn't a framework to fit a behavior around. How do managers behave against our values? And when I met John two and a half years ago, that's where I had my sort of slight epiphany that when John presented his work in the Nine Habits of Trust and, and the way that he, he, he did that, it, it, it chimed with me very strongly that actually this was something that you could actually talk to people about and put a framework around and get behaviors modified uh, 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 around. So I decided I didn't give up on our four values. They were still the four values of the organization. But I decided to use John's trust approach within our organization to improve the way that we worked with our staff uh, and the way that we worked with our customers and the way that we worked uh, work, work, worked everywhere. We were fortunate we were starting from a reasonably high base. Um, we, you know, we'd always had that sort of um, ethos. But now we were able to talk about it in real tangible terms about the, the habits and about what we where we were good. We were able to to measure it, so we every year we do the uh, we did our employee engagement survey, um, and we had fairly high levels of fairly high levels of trust. Uh, we used the Gallup uh, the, the, the Gallup approach with a few uh, a, a few modifications. So we modified that a bit further and started asking real questions about trust, um, and uh, then then we we started to get that feedback. And when we introduced the trusted executive uh, journey, if you like, into our organisation. Then our management teams got behind it and they started to use it. We continue to measure trust over the next uh, couple of years, uh, including through the pandemic, when we had to make some pretty tough decisions about our business, as many people will have had to. Um, And we found that we were able to retain the levels of trust that we had. 
Yes, you mentioned you were able to, to get buy-in, and I'm curious about how that happened, especially in the legal field. I know here it's hard to get lawyers <laughs> to, to spend time sometimes on these issues when they're billing by the hour or they have other priorities. So how did you help others, or how did they buy into this um, initiative that you were working on? Because we'd been recruiting by our values anyway, we were recruiting the sort and type of people who cared about the service that they delivered, who were empathetic towards the customer. We were originally a marketing organization that that, that we changed our business model to become a law firm because of some regulatory changes in the UK market. Um, So we started off from a a very much consumer focused, a customer focused side with a very strong brand uh, and were able really, that's the sort of um, thought process that we brought with us, putting the customer at the heart of our organization. So we already had people who were customer focused, who were keen to offer good service and who were proud, what we call pride in the badge, the badge you wear, pr- proud of our company. And so that was a good starting point to work from. But the, the challenge with trust is it's, it's, it's tough to build, but it's easily lost. Um, and so keeping, keeping that sort of um, really did require us to, to think differently and to, and to follow the work that, uh, that John has been prescribing. Yes, good. And you just touched on another important lesson I'll reinforce is to make sure that you're hiring people that are aligned with your values. Yes, absolutely. And uh, sometimes that's hard to do. So yeah, good, good for you. So good. Well, back to you, John, was curious to know more about some of the key habits. I know that you've got nine that are outlined in your book, and we won't have time to cover all of them. But just given where we are today, if there were a, a few that you wanted to touch on that you thought were most relevant, that people need to be learning more about or, or paying more attention to? Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, the model of trust that came out of the research, three pillars, nine habits. The three pillars of trust were, were already there, already established, and those three pillars are ability, integrity, benevolence. The extra sort of component that my research contributed to that was um, three behavioral habits under each pillar. So, for example, under the pillar of ability, we have the habits of um, deliver, coach, be consistent. Uh, under the habits of under the pillar of integrity, we have the habits of be honest, be open, be humble. And under the pillar of benevolence, we have the habits of evangelize, be brave, be kind. So that, as as Russell talked about, you know, a lot of leaders know that trust is important, but then the question is, how do I do it? And what this model um, has provided for the leaders that we work with is a very practical, tangible model um, that allows them to break trust down, get their arms around it, and really sort of measure and develop it. If there were three habits that I particularly would highlight sort of today and in the last few months, you know, that have been particularly relevant in our work with, with different leadership teams across different sectors, I'd probably highlight the habits of being brave, uh, evangelize, and, and deliver. And bravery in, in the trust world is all about moral bravery. Um, the idea that there's a point in the cycle where the leader self-sacrifices for the wider good. And so I think we can see in the middle of a global pandemic that we are all called to think again about that wider good and that, that exercise, that moral bravery. Um, the evangelize habit, um, again, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, there's a, there's a quote I use, you know, when the room gets dark, it's an opportunity for your own light to shine brighter. And we're in a pretty dark place at the moment. And the evangelized habit is all about having that vision, that inspiration, bouncing back from disappointments. And I think right now what a lot of uh, teams um, 
and staff need is, is to hear again what the purpose is, what is the vision, what's going to make all of this worth it. So I really uh, um, think that's a habit for a lot of leaders too. I like that too. Yes, that's something I've been trying to help my clients with. I, I love what you're saying about the uh, making sure that you're keeping that in front of people. The challenge is that a lot of the visions are shifting now because of everything that's been changed. And so even more reason to try to get some clarity and energy behind the vision. So I really, I really like that, that point in particular. And you mentioned a third one? Yeah, the third one is that the delivery habit. You know, we're very used to in business, you know, the, the, the three-year vision, the 12-month business plan. Again, in the times that we live in, it's quite hard for people to think 12 months ahead. And I think a lot of these agile delivery models that we see, particularly in the software sector, I can see that agile way of working becoming more common across more sectors so that we'll all be looking at 12-week sprints rather than 12-month business plans and, uh, and, you know, and, and being able to focus people much more on that shorter-term goal and have the flexibility to change direction on, on a more frequent basis. So I think in the delivery habit, we're, we're all at the moment being called to be more agile um, in, our, in our delivery mindset. So those are the three that I would highlight at the moment, be brave, evangelize, and think about agility in terms of the delivery model. Yeah, good. Uh, Russell, same same question to you. Is, is there one that stood out to you in the transformation work that you did with your organization? Is is there something that stood out that was either surprising to you or especially noteworthy that really helped create the impact? Because I know you've had great success, such a positive impact based on the experience that your people had. So was there one in particular? I think... Um Honesty was the one that uh, honesty would be the one that sprang to mind. Be honest, and and um, we had to make a lot of changes in two phases. What one because we were re-engineering the basic business model of the company, um, and 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 secondly, uh, during the pandemic, we had a major impact upon our business. There was a real uh, uh, real problems there, and in both instances, we were having to make decisions that were tough, that were hard and difficult, and impacted people. So be, being trustworthy is not, as John said earlier, it's not about being nice or it's not about not making those tough calls. In fact, making the tough calls is part of building trust because the, but the bit that gets you there is being honest about why you're doing it. For example, during the, 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 the early stages of the pandemic, our business, part of our business lost volume of over 90%. So we had real, you know, real, real problems. We had far too much cost in the business. So we had to make some decisions to close offices and to make people redundant and, 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 and uh, you know, so on, which were really, really hard things to do. The, the challenge that you have is how you have to do it. It's the right decision for the long-term health of the business. And so we, we took the decision, myself and my team, to be very, very open. We had weekly, weekly all-hands conference calls, and we explained to people why we were doing it, that we had too much cost, and actually, although these decisions were tough, it was for the long-term health of the business and for the people who were still there, would, that would be the, the, the better situation. And that honesty and, and, and that openness really helped us to be able to communicate properly with our, uh, with, with our staff. So th- that, that one was very, very helpful during a, a time of crisis. Yes. I just interviewed another guest talking about the importance of speaking the brutal truth is how he referred to it. And I do encourage leaders to do that too. It is hard and it takes some practice. Um, but I do think that employees appreciate that 
openness, like you said. They want to know what's going on, and they can sense it when it's trying to be covered up or kind of smoothed over. So um, I'm glad that that you're um, emphasizing that point too. Um, I know that when we're looking at trust, you can, we we talked about being able to kind of look at it through different lenses. Uh, for example, there's there's trust when you think about making people feel safe. There's trust when you're trying to tell the truth. There's trust that, that somebody can be reliable or dependable. So I wanted to touch more on, on helping people feel safe right now because people don't feel safe in more ways than one. And was, was curious to get uh, advice from both of you on what you would recommend to help people feel safe right now as a leader. What are some things that you can do? What have you seen or experienced yourself that seems to work well to create that uh, psychological safety, if, if not physical safety. Um, can you speak to that one in particular? Yep. Yeah, I'll go first on that, um, Gail, if you want. Um, I mean, I'm thinking actually of a, a, an example, you know, very close to home in terms of, you know, the the Trusted Executive Foundation, which is the not-for-profit that I run um, to support this work. When I think about the team members and uh, in recent times, I've had to rethink my role a little bit as the as the leader in terms of this habit, the second habit in the model, and one of the habits of ability is coaching. And I think safety at the moment, you know, what do people need at the moment? Um, do they need evaluation, monitoring, and critical feedback? I mean, is 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 that what at the moment is really going to get the best out of your people? And uh, I think as managers, we're, we're trained to, to sort of see it when, when, uh, when things are going wrong or, you know, we're trained to, to notice when there's, a, when there's a problem. And it can be very easy to focus on that. But I think this coaching habit is very important at the moment, that what, what our people need is, is motivation. And, and you motivate people by listening to them, by asking them questions, uh, by catching them doing things right and giving them encouragement around that. And, and I've just had my own experience to say in the conversations over the last couple of weeks uh, in our team, I've seen the, the different impact that that can have on people. You know, that if you, if you, if you turn left and you go down that critical uh, an, analytical route, or if you turn right and you go down that coaching path, it, it's a very, very different atmosphere that you can create in a team. And, and I think at the moment in particular, because people are feeling anxious or unsafe um, in, in different ways, thinking of your role as a coach, it is a really uh, enabling attitude to have. Yes. And I think leaders, when they're under pressure, it's hard to, to sometimes show that sensitivity or want to listen more because there's pressure to make things happen more quickly, to figure things out. So you have to take a step back sometimes and put on a different hat and remind yourself of the role that you're shifting into instead of the get it done mode that a lot of uh, leaders are understandably in right now. So yeah, I was curious to get your thoughts too, Russell. So do you have some advice on what leaders can do to help employees feel safe, conversations, approaches? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I agree with everything John said, but I, I also think that understanding that different people react in different ways, that, that safety, if you're using safety, if with a psychological safety, let's use that, um, then some people some people have different needs uh, when uh, understanding what safety uh, safety is for them, and uh, they can be very very different. So 
what we were able to do, we were lucky, we, our business allowed it. Some businesses simply don't allow this, but we, we, were, we were able to give people choices. So when we, when we closed our offices down initially, everybody's uh, theoretically able to work remotely, but we gave them the choice that they could come into an, a safe environment, clearly an environment with social distancing and everything, or they could continue to work from home. And some people just said, oh, I'm so pleased I'm able to work from home. And others said, I'm so pleased I could get to the office. I can't work from my small little flat. I've only got one bedroom. Uh, it's horrible. Uh, and therefore, you know, my psychological well-being and let's, you know, safety is a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big thing. So that my psychological well-being is better served by being in the office, even though I am taking a risk to get there. And I'm, you know, there's obviously more risks when I'm there. So. Within the, within the confines of, of, of all of the rules that we had to follow, uh, which were right and proper, uh, we, we gave people choices. Um, and, and, and actually, that worked extremely well. So uh, most people were able to find a way of working that worked within their framework, that worked within, would made them feel fine. And, 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 and that's good. And I think that would go over to other areas as well, I'm sure. But listening to people and understanding that everybody is different, everybody's a different sort of reaction. We spent, we spent a lot of time talking to people. We had all our senior managers would, would speak to their teams and their teams would speak to their teams, at least on a, when people were working remotely. On, on a more than weekly basis and where they felt we had problems or they feel we had we offered things we had um, we got three um, what we call mental health first aiders um, so so people that you can talk to off the record won't get back to management all of that sort of thing we could bring them in to talk to people who were struggling and having problems so you know being there for them was also part of that uh, a part of that solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think it's so important to have someone that you you can trust or confide in, um, who may or may not be connected with the organization. I know that's a role that I play a lot too, um, as an outside consultant and coach. And it's it's just so important to have a place where people can can have conversations and process and especially now there's a lot on people's minds. So I wanted to, to get more statistics, John, I know that there were some Example of a hotel, I think you had mentioned some the impact of trust on maybe customer service or something. I know I've seen a lot of statistics. I don't have them right in front of me, but you might be able to share. I just thought that would be interesting for listeners to hear. Those that are like, well, I get that trust is important. Yes, we need to build trust. But what is the business impact? What are some of the the results you're seeing? Yeah, well, that's uh, that research that you referred to um, uh, was some research that was done with the Holiday Inn chain. Um, in in North America, um, where they found a one eighth um, improvement in the in the trustworthiness of the line manager, add, added a percentage point onto the prof- profitability of the the organisation. So, quite quite a powerful piece of research by uh, Simon and Simon and Parks. Um, if people want to to look that up, which showed the impact of of trust on the bottom line. There are a couple of other studies that that I often reference, where people really need to convert the benefit of trust into, you know, bottom line impact. One of them is by a guy called Dr. Paul Zach. He he had a, an article in Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago called "The Neuroscience of Trust," and in his research, he compared high trust cultures to low trust cultures, and he found that high trust cultures had seventy four percent less stress, thirteen percent less sick days. more productivity and 76% more employee engagement. And I I often refer to that as trust being like a magic wand. You know, I say say to sort of leaders, if you you had a magic wand and you could wave it and you had that 
outcome, um, then wouldn't you want to master that magic wand? And, and I think trust can be that magic wand that has multiple benefits across different um, stakeholders. Final bit of uh, research I mentioned, because it, it reminded me of it when you were talking about safety and psychological safety, because Google did a piece of research over a couple of years called Project Aristotle. And in, in Google, they were trying to find um, what makes a perfect team, what makes the highest performing team in Google. And they did this research, 180 teams, 37,000 employees participated. And the answer that they got from that was surprised them because it, was, it wasn't the charisma of the leader or the technical brilliance of the, the team members, but the single biggest factor in those highest performing teams was psychological safety. That, that teams in which people felt psychological safe, safe were the highest performing teams. And obviously, psychological safety and trust are, are two sides of the same coin. You know, if, if you're in a high trust environment, you will feel psychologically safe. Uh, so, so that's quite a powerful piece of research in terms of the team impact of, of, of a high trust environment. And as I say, there, there are many, many other studies, Gail, I could mention, but hopefully that's... Yeah. That's enough to for our listeners to to really think that this is this 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 word trust has certainly got some some power behind it. Yes, exactly. Well, that's what I was hoping to emphasize because it it, it is kind of a soft topic to many people, and or it's one that they think is already in place, or you have people who don't know where to even start. Which is how actually how I wanted to kind of wrap up today is thinking about some starting points when you know as a leader that you want to focus on trust, you want to build more trust maybe have a clearer understanding of how you're faring right now. So a uh, question to both of you, you know, what would you suggest to, to leaders who say, you know, I'm seeing the importance of this. I think I'm in good shape, but I, I need to, to either validate that or improve in some way. What, what should be a first step? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do a bit of shameless uh, evangelizing here. I'm saying, you know, um, maybe a next step would be to read the book. Yes, I would concur. Yes, the trusted executive. The trusted um, executive. Yes. Yeah. So that, that I think you know I think I think finding out more about trust and and really getting to grips with it. Um, you know, there's a lot to learn. I think about this word. So that would be one step I would think about. Another step, which I know um, Russell's organisation um, took, is really about measurement. You know, in in business, we talk about you know what what gets measured is treasured. And how, how many of us are actually measuring trust? You know, I think everybody would say it's important, but, but how many of us are actually measuring it? So I, I think um, one of the benefits of models like, you know, this nine habits model or other models of, of trust is it gives you the basis to measure trust. You know, we, we can survey trust in organizations and we can benchmark that trust against other organizations in our samples. So whatever the route is, I think until leaders really get focused on measuring this thing called trust, it's going to be hard to take it to the next level and really maximize um, that, that, that trust in the culture. So those are the two things I, I would say is, you know, um, read about it, learn about it, um, but also measure it. Mm -hmm. Good, good advice. Anything to add to that, Russell, on a starting point for people that want to focus more deliberately on building trust? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, be very honest with yourself about where you are, where you stand. Your earlier point is very true, Gail. Uh, you know, many people, I did as well. You know, I think, oh, I'm, I'm trusted. I'm, I'm a decent, decent type <laughs> of course. Of person. Yes. Um, but, but, but actually, you have to be honest with yourself from that starting point. 
And also realize that it is a journey. It is a long journey. It's not a journey that takes from today till tomorrow. You can't suddenly decide to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I want our organization to be more trusted and expect by next Wednesday that that's going to be in because that's not the way it is. It, it, it takes a long period, especially if you're coming from a low base, a long period of sustained examples of the performance of trust and, and, and how people gain trust to get you to where you need to be. It, it, it took us, you know, we, we, got, we started from a reasonably high point uh, and it took us two or three years. And then suddenly you realize things that are happening in your organization that didn't, or not happening. We used to have, we, we didn't have industrial disputes, but we had um, uh, what were called disciplinary hearings. And we had a call center that was uh, lots of complaints from the, from the staff. This is, you know, sort of three, four years ago. I think last year we didn't have a single one. Um, and, and those sort of stats you start to realize are happening within your organization, not solely as a result of trust. There are other things happening. You've got to be paying people properly and, and, and motivating them properly and making sure the job works. But it's all part of a big sustained uh, a sustained approach. So, yes, I, I think it's massively important. But be honest with yourself from where, where is our starting point? Properly measure that starting point where you can and recognize depending on where you're starting from, it is going to take time. Good. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that most of the listeners are enlightened leaders or those who like to learn and grow. And some of them may have uh, someone on their team that could be having, I would say, more difficulty establishing trust, or maybe they're creating some disruption or where there's some obvious problems. So if that's the scenario, how would how would you address that if there's that person on the team, or could be a few people or a pocket in the organization where there seems to be more distrust compared to other areas? I think I think I would start. I'll, I'll put my hand up to go first this time because John, John did last time. Um, but I think I would start from, the, from really thinking carefully about why that is. And looking at that individual, if it's an individual or a team, looking at their values, and what are their values? How are they working? What's actually, you know, what's actually happening? And then trying to establish whether there are things that you can put right to make that, you know, it may be that, you know, they're having a really hard time. Things are really, really tough for them. You can put, you can put some things right. But some people may just not fit the model. Um, they, you know, they, they may have, as, as to, to use John's words of earlier, power may be the, the purpose that, that they bring to the game. And, and therefore, I think at that point, you have to say, well, you know, do we belong together as individuals? Or, or should they be part of this organization? Because if you have pockets of, of teams or people undermining this work as you go through, what, one of the points I was really going to emphasize was the team needs to be on this. It's fine for the CEO to be up there saying we've got, all got to be trusted, but the team needs to want to do it as well. Because if the team just go, yeah, great, we'll, we'll, we'll say a few words about trust and then carry on as we did before, then nothing's going to change. Right, right, good. Yes, don't tolerate anyone or, or any area that's not on board and willing to up their game in that area. Yeah. Do find out why they're not on board, but you know, if, if, if you're not going to be able to change them, then 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 something has to has to make make way. Good. John, anything to add to that? Just just briefly, um, you know, totally on board with, with everything Russell said there. And I, I, I suppose I would just add that it's quite difficult to have a conversation with someone where you know, let's say you, you go into a room and, and you say to someone, you know, that, that we, we've got a trust problem. I mean, it's it's quite a heavy starting point, isn't it? it it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have because it's such an emotive word. And I think this is where 
where models help. So it's much easier to go into a, a conversation and say, let's sit down and look at these nine habits. You know, where do you think you are strong? Where do you think you are weaker? Because none of us is going to be perfect at all nine habits. And, and so it, it sort of diffuses the, the conversation a bit, takes a bit of the edge out of it. If you can talk about a model uh, which has a number of different components rather than this one word, which, which very easily is going to get emotive because people don't want to be accused of being untrustworthy. Nobody gets up in the morning and wants, wants to achieve that. So I think it's, it's much more empowering to have a conversation about nine habits than it is to have a conversation about, do I trust you or not? Right. Good, good advice. Well, I know that we could probably go on and on. This is such an important topic, and I'm really grateful that I could have both of you in in the Zoom room today to share your wisdom and experience. I really encourage listeners to to get your book, John. And where can they find your book, The Trusted Executive? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon, Amazon.com, or the various country uh, uh, affiliates of, of of Amazon. That's probably the uh, the best place to get it. Kogan Page is the publisher, so it's also available on the Kogan Page uh, website if people uh, would prefer to, to go through that route. Good. Fantastic. Well, hopefully today we've helped shine a little more light on this issue and given some ideas and, and possible actions that people can take to build more trust in their organizations. I know that it's it's given me a lot to think about too in my own work with other executives who I'm helping along the way. So thank you so much again. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit workmatters.com. And if you have a question or a suggestion for a future topic for the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So keep growing as a leader and doing the work that matters to you. Until next time. Mm-hmm.